Keep your back straight as much as you can and gently close your eyes. Take a few couple of long deep breaths. Breathe in, let in. Breathe out, let in go. Breathe in, I am in peace. Breathe out, I am in peace. Gently observe your body and posture. Make sure to get comfortable with your posture. And observe each part of your body from the top of your head to low of your toes. Mindfully bring your attention to the moment. Observe the stillness and peacefulness in this room around you. Let's develop loving, friendliness thoughts towards yourself. Repeat these three words to yourself with lovingly and kindly. And same time try to understand the deeper meaning of these words. May I be content. May I be patient. May I 
May I be healthy. May I be content. May I be patient. May I be healthy. While you are repeating the words, feel yourself as your best friend. Contentment is the greatest wealth. If you think about this word, you're never going to judge yourself. You're never going to compare yourself with others. You're always happy what you have. You are learning to accept. You are practicing acceptance. Therefore, repeat yourself, may I be content. The quality of passion is very important for our life, our day-to-day life. Whenever you see your faults, your mistakes, you are always patient and diligent with yourself. Repeat yourself, may I be content, may I be patient. As your best friend, you are always thinking to take care of yourself mentally and healthy. You are thinking about your mental and physical wellness, which is very important. Think to yourself, may I be strong and healthy mentally and physically.
now think may my loved ones family members friends be filled with loving kindness may they be well in mind and body may they be able to take care of themselves happily maybe you are having some difficult time with someone who's with you who's in your family maybe you do not like how way they talk how way they behave it is not easy to change someone you have to work hard but it is so much easy to change how way you think you can apply this same advice for your difficult ones having that advice you can extend your loving thoughts your loved ones and same time your difficult people may my loved ones be well be happy and be peaceful may my difficult people be well be happy be peaceful Now you can expand your loving thoughts towards all the living beings.
there are thousands of millions of people are having a difficult hard time due to natural disasters wars and other difficult times may all the living beings be filled with loving kindness may they be able to find peaceful and healthy environments may they be able to take care of themselves happily Now slowly take a few peaceful long breaths and also it is perfect time to move your body around change your posture if you want find a comfortable and relaxed posture <coughs> and gradually bring your attention to your breath without forcing without controlling your breath watch your breath mindfully allow your body to breathe naturally without wondering about future or past let's spend peaceful and relaxed moments with your breath Breathe in mindfully breathe out mindfully Breathe in mindfully and breathe out mindfully. If you are struggling with your thoughts, just know I am having thoughts and come back to your breathing process.
Now again take a few peaceful long breaths. Breathe in, I am in peace and breathe out, I am in peace. And same time appreciate the moment, your practice, your dedication to your practice. I'm always reminding you, you're here and sitting and practicing with all of us. This is your practice time. Whenever you go outside, there are many moments will come to you to apply your practice. Therefore, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Try to apply your practice each moment of your day-to-day life. Please bring your hands together in front of your heart and make a commitment to yourself to apply your practice every day. May not any difficulties come to you, may not any dangers come to you. May be well, happy and peaceful. May your loved ones be well, happy and peaceful. May all the living beings be well, be happy, be peaceful. Thank you so much. Slowly open eyes. Okay, let's start our chanting practice. Page number four. <clears throat> let's chant together. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arhato Sama Sambuddhas Buddhan Saranang Gachami Sanghang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi buddhan saranang gacchami Dutiyampi dhamman saranang gacchami Dutiyampi sanghang saranang gacchami Tatiyampi buddhan saranang gacchami Tatiyampi dhamman saranang gacchami Tatiyampi sanghang saranang 
अनिच्छावत संकारा उपाद बाय धम्मेनो उपाजित्वा निरुजान्ति ते सांगुप सामोसुको सबे सत्ता अवेराहन्तु सबे सत्ता अव्यापजाहन्तु सबे सत्ता अनिगाहन्तु सबे सत्ता सुखियतानं परिहारं मनोपुंगमा Veti Chakamavato Padam Mano Pubangamadhamma Mano Setta Manasache Pasane Vāsativā karotivā Tato nān sukha man veti Chāyāb anapāyini Mind is the form of steps. We believe, we believe in generosity towards others. We believe the skillful novel at this moment. Generosity is the heart of a spiritual practice. Practice is lost. Believe extended generosity to ourselves and others. It's a direct way of healing division. Begin joy. My wish. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection. 
a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with an ocean to cross, a sanctuary for those in need. By means of this meritorious deed, Okay, good morning everyone. Good morning, Bhante. How are you today? It is very happy to see you all and thank you so much for being here. And today uh, we have a lay Dhamma talk. So Tyler, our board president, he's going to share with you uh, some of his experience. And so Tyler, it is your time. I'm not sure which of the monastic code says monks aren't supposed to lie. But I was not supposed to give the Dharma talk today. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he just took the easy way out. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Tyler. I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, I was just laughing as we were meditating because for years and years, we would never announce to you um, when Bhante Sujatha was going to be here or not because we knew that if we announced it, the whole place would be filled. And then what if he couldn't be here? So we spent, I don't know, 15 years never doing that. And then we just sort of like surrendered to the inevitable truth that way more people show up when they know he's coming and people really like to know that he's coming. So we got in the habit of starting to announce it like we did this week. And sure enough, for the first time, our fear comes true. Uh, I get a text at 4.05 this morning that says, um, Upasaka, you have to teach today. Don't swear. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the the uh, and then it was followed up by uh, I'm in the hospital, <clears throat> so Bonte has uh, kidney stones, really bad, and has had had them for many many years. Constantly struggles with them, and this morning he's really struggling with them. So if I could ask all of us just to send him our love, and our thoughts and our well wishes, and I'm so sorry for all the people who came to hear Bonte and get me. <clears throat> um, I asked Bhante Rahula why he wasn't giving the Dharma talk since he's a monk and took vows to teach. And he said, well, I would, but, you know, I'm just too tall and good looking. They're not going to believe it's Bhante. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm way too white. They're not going to believe I'm Bhante either. <laughs> and then the other monk said, there's way too many people here, so I'm not doing it either. <clears throat> and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do, do solid by Bhante. Uh, you know, he and I met... I, I tell this story a lot. He and I met maybe 15 or 20 years ago, and uh, it's a funny story. I got invited to this, what I was told was like a fundraising, brainstorming meeting uh, to help raise funds and car carry a focus towards uh, some initiative that some dude was trying to get money for. So I, I didn't want to go. I hate any meetings. I don't understand why people talk instead of do, um, so I never go to meetings, <laughs> and uh, I went anyway, kind of as a courtesy, and I walked in, and there's probably 25 people in the room, and they're going on and on for maybe two hours speaking to this little monk, Bhante Sujatha, in a robe with this big smile, and they're going on and on about all the things they're going to do to help raise money for his uh, endeavors and for his projects. We didn't have a temple at the time. We were renting the space downstairs, and um, so... I'd never met him, and 
I was listening to all these people, listening, listening. And so like, I'm the family member that you never invite over because you know if there's an elephant in the room, I'm gonna talk about it. Um, I'm the guy that like has no filter. And so I will always just like say what's up instead of like beating around the bush. And so uh, I, I just can't shake it. And, and so I sit there for like two hours and I'm like slowly moving to the back of the room. Like, where is the exit? I have got to get out of here. And uh, I don't say a word the whole time. And these people were so well-intended. And Bonte comes up to me after, uh, right before I sneak out, and he introduces himself, and he goes, what do you think of this? Now, remember what I just said about the kind of family member I am. I said, I think these people love you, that you're adorable, that you have the most magnetic smile I've ever seen, and I don't think any of them are going to do any of the things they just do they're going to do. <laughs> and he goes, I agree, let's go. <laughs> and, we, and we bailed. I don't know how long that meeting went, but we didn't stay for the end of it. Uh, and that sort of like solidified our friendship. And so our agreement all along has been, I promise I'll tell you the truth. That's what I promised to do to him. And I'll run back into the temple. I'll make sure this thing works. I'll get our mortgage paid. I'll, I'll uh, do all the, the heavy lifting behind the scenes, but don't ever ask me to teach. That's your job. I'll run it. You teach it. That's been our deal for, I don't know, almost two decades. And, uh, and so here we are. I don't get to do that. Uh, so... I want to talk about um, not teaching. So first of all, everybody look at your feet. What aren't you wearing right now? That's right. Do you know why we don't wear shoes in a temple or in a Dharma hall? You know one of the reasons? So there's, what's that? Okay, so hold, hold that note. <laughs> lots of people, and, and it's not untrue, lots of people would talk about reverence. Lots of people might talk about uh, various parts of the monastic code about we don't wear shoes in temples and kind of all of the, all that that means. But there is a little byline to 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 the monastic code that says nobody teaching the Dharma wears shoes. And so what I want to I want to reinvigorate uh, that kind of quiet lost teaching because if you're not wearing shoes today, that means you are one of the teachers here, aren't you? See, this is the thing is that we're all each other's teachers. And so I, that's part of the reason I'm willing to stand up here is because I, I don't want to ever say I'm a teacher, but I think we're all each other's teachers, aren't we? Sometimes in a really positive way, something you do really informs me, really educates me, opens my heart, gets me curious, and then uh, I get invited to maybe try that on. And so that's that's really great, and uh, that means you're a teacher to me, right? The other The opposite is true. Sometimes your behavior informs me what not to do. <laughs> right? Um, and so that's also teaching, isn't it? And so I think it's really critical to remember we're all each other's teachers. Uh, and so as I talk, please keep that in mind. So when I say something really dumb, remember, oh, okay, we're going to learn what not to do. And if I say something that helps you, that's awesome. Take what you need and leave the rest. Uh, I want to I talk about um, this experience I have been having. I, uh, I got married last October. And we made a commitment to do one hour of Vipassana meditation per day for the six months to our wedding as sort of our commitment to preparation. 
And uh, Vipassana is uh, uh, insight meditation. And essentially, it's, you know, to, here we, pra- we practice metta, where we, we might focus on um, our loved ones and ourselves, and we send our, may we be well, may we be happy, may we be peaceful. Vipassana is a body scan, where essentially you're, you're, you're watching the, the sensations in your body. So I start at the top of my head, and I do a body scan very slowly all the way down through my body to my toes, and then back all the way back up, back to my head. And so we did this for an hour a day for six months. It really sucked. <laughs> I mean, that is so long, you guys. And so some of the things I learned how to do during a one-hour body scan of Vipassana is I can now get up from our meditation chairs and get into the kitchen, pour a cup of coffee, and get back without Grant knowing. <laughs> so <laughs> because he won't break a rule to save his life, I will break every rule I can find. So, so I learned how to do that. Um, I also learned um, that my mind... Uh, constantly takes me away from the intention I set. So I might make it from the crown of my head to my nose, and then I'll be gone for 20 minutes in thinking, right? <laughs> and so that's why we call it a meditation practice. It's an, I don't use the word meditation. I always associate it as a meditation practice, as a kind of a form of inviting compassion and forgiveness for myself when I blow it, even though there's no right or wrong way. But this scan and these thoughts, they just keep coming. And so one of the things I began doing after about a month of what I thought was this epic failure in our six-month commitment of one hour a day was I started writing down, um, where did my mind go? You know, the practice is simply bringing back your awareness to the scan every time it leaves. That's it. There's nothing wrong with it leaving. It doesn't matter if I'm gone 30 minutes in a thought. The, wor- the, the practice is the beautiful process of coming back to my scan, right? And then I'm gone again, and then I come back to my scan, gone again. Sometimes it stays longer. Some days, I'll sit down and I'll scan the entire hour now. It's quite remarkable. Some days, I don't think I get 14 seconds, like maybe 14 seconds. Uh, But I started writing down these questions, and I want to share them with you. Uh, Because these are, uh, I think, when I go back and look at six months, and then all the questions I wrote down are the things that, that came up in my mind, these 10 were reoccurring over and over and over again. This is where my mind took me away from the scan, and this is what I had to come back to. So the first question is, who are you? Who are you? And I, I spent a lot of time, actually, in meditation on this question. So uh, I'm a son. I'm a dad. My daughter's here today. I'm a husband. Uh, I'm lots of things, right? Right? And then I, then I would look into that and say, well, is that true? Is that who I am or is that a label, right? Um, and, and, and so asking myself who I am or all of us asking ourselves who are we, uh, for me, that question be- uh, had a lot, a lot more power the more often I answered it because the answers kept changing. And one of the things I noticed is that things that I describe myself as, labels that I put on, um, aren't actually the truth. And so I'll be, I'll be, I'll be vulnerable. My kids here, we had, we, uh, we did have a pretty good fight last night about something, but, uh, mostly I would say, you know, if I was going to rank myself as a dad, I'm, I'm going to rank myself pretty high. I'll let her correct the record, but I don't know. I'll give myself an eight being a dad. However, my parents both are, uh, elderly 
And what I would describe them as is they're in the extreme annoying stage of elderly <laughs> where they, they're like not, they haven't forgot everything, but man, they forget a lot and I have to repeat so much. And if we get on the phone, it will be a very long and drawn out conversation about very little, in my opinion. Uh, and it's, and it's really, really, uh, takes a lot of effort for me. And the truth of it is, I say I'm a son, and it is really a core value to show up for my parents. However, if you looked at my calendar, or if you looked at my phone records, or if you looked at my text chain, it is not in congruency with what I say I am. I, I, I don't, I'm gonna give myself a two in the son category right now, because I've been, I've been leaning into the one in me that wants to avoid this difficult phase of their lives rather than more fully embrace it and lean in. And so asking that question, who am I, actually revealed who I'm not or who I'm not fully living into. And, and so this is an example of the power of a meditation practice is that we get the time to sit and explore our heart and our mind and our thoughts and see what really comes up. And I think it can show us where we're doing really well, um, and which can allow us to feel some real gratitude towards our behavior, some pride, right? Um, and it can show us where we're really falling down and maybe where there's some work left to do. The second question that keeps coming to my mind is, what do you believe? What do you believe? And uh, I want to be really clear, I'm not, I did not write down the question, what do you believe in? And when I, when I work with people and I ask them the question, what do you believe? They always answer by what they believe in. Uh, it's a very different question to ask, what do you believe? And, uh, I, I've learned a lot about, um, my nature and my practice in this room and with these monks and with these teachings because, you know, the truth is, is I don't believe in almost anything unless I experience it for myself. I just don't. Um, I try. I can hold a really gentle and loving neutrality around a concept that I have not personally experienced. I've, I've worked to not have judgment towards things I don't know. But the truth is, is that I don't call it the truth for me unless I've experienced it uh, in some way. And so uh, that's really helpful for me to know. And there's some stuff for me to work on. That does not serve me super well, actually. Uh, sometimes... Uh, you know, in, in, in other traditions, we would say it's the word faith, right? Like, where is their faith? If I have to experience it, um, that, that is a limiting position. And so, uh, in, when this question came up, what do you believe? What do you believe? Um, I've been working for months now with expanding my tolerance for what I don't know. That's what the question led me to is, Man, why, why do I need to know? And could I learn to get a little more comfortable sitting in the unknown? I think this is one of the great gifts of COVID college for us was that, that we were forced to sit in the unknown. First, we thought it was going to be for two weeks and then it was for two years and now it's still ongoing. And, and truthfully, there's been so much, uh, freedom for me in accepting that there's so much that I don't know. And, uh, that question led me uh, to really course correct some things uh, and try to say yes to the mystery more, try to say yes to walking into uh, spaces that I'm unfamiliar with, saying yes to relationships that I didn't understand what they might become, but, but be more open to them because I kept asking that question. 
The third thing that um, that the third question that often takes my mind away in that hour practice is what motivates you? What motivates you? Think about it for a minute. What motivates you? Um, I guarantee you, uh, if you were to look at my calendar, if you were look to look at my to-do list, if you were to look at my, my behavior, uh, certainly Monday through Friday, you would say, it's money. It's money. Money motivates me. Um, I've spent decades trying to not, not answer the question that way. But I read a book by Michael Singer called The Surrender Experiment. And uh, pretty much with a lot of great books, the title is mostly all you really need to read. <laughs> um, and, and, and essentially, uh, he tells the story of his life journey of building a company through the power of surrender. Uh, and how he would just surrender to whatever came next. He set aside his will and his desires and said, whatever the universe brings to me, I'm going to check in with my heart, and if it feels right, I'm going to surrender to it and do it, even if I don't want to. Surrender, surrender. Uh, and the truth is that I'm, I, after reading that book, I gave myself permission to surrender to the fact that the truth is money motivates me. But the reason it motivates me is because I've always, my whole life, seen it as such a powerful tool to do good in the world. Uh, so I'm no longer embarrassed of the fact that this is something that motivates me. It's partly the reason I think that Bonte and I are a good team with this temple, because the teachings are free, right? And I promise you the toilet paper isn't, <laughs> right? So we're in this awkwardness all the time of, you know, we, we want this to be a place of refuge for all people and a place to practice, and we want it to be accessible for all. And yet we do turn the lights on every day when you walk in here. How do you live with that duality, right? It's, it's kind of rough. So uh, what motivates me uh, has been money, uh, and I now accept that that's the truth because I want to make a powerful uh, impact on the world, and I think it's an easy uh, and succinct way to do it. But the other reason I think it motivates me is because a while ago I decided to surrender the fact that it's sort of a bummer that that's what motivates so many people, but it's just the truth. Um, I don't need to fight against this anymore because I actually found that I do less in the world if I'm trying to, to, to work against something instead of just surrendering to the fact that, man, money is like a really powerful measuring stick. It's a driving universal language now. It's the way we all operate and give and receive and exchange uh, and navigate the world. And so if I stop fighting against that and just surrender to it, then what might that do for me? Um, and it's done a lot by, by knowing that, that that clarity is there, by knowing that that this is something that drives me, I'm able to then invite others in. And so these days, I'm trying to say, can money and joy live together? Can money and high purpose live together? Um, can money and play, play is one of the things that really motivates me. Can I invite play to have at least the same seat of importance as money? See how important these questions are? Now, all of you would answer them very differently. But asking these questions and paying attention to where your mind goes and then how it comes back. I think it, I think that the questions and, and the thoughts that distract us actually are really interesting GPSs if we follow their direction and get to the root of like, why is, why are these, why are my, why is my mind running with these things? Number four, why do you work so hard? Why do you work so hard? I mean, a question we could ask ourselves is, why did we come here and sit uncomfortably 
on, on cushions uh, and take time out of our day. Why do we do that? Why are we working so hard at the practice of meditation? Um, you know, why do we try to be kind in the face of adversity? Why do we uh, work so hard at our jobs when our family needs more of us? Why do you work so hard? That's a question that keeps coming up for me. Number five, this is, this is one I know we all ask and ask and ask. When's enough enough? This is a question that takes my mind away in meditation all the time. I think when I went back and looked at the six months, I, this question I'd written down like 17 times. When is enough enough? And uh, I really like asking that question because uh, the answer is so elusive. What I've found is that I can define enough. I could define enough right now. We could all have a dialogue right now and each of us declare this is what my enough is. But my experience is the closer you get to that enough, it starts to move, you know, and it's uh, it keeps getting a little further out. And then I get closer to that and then it gets a little further out again. And so um, what I've discovered is that there's no way out but in. There's actually no such thing as enough if I'm going to look on the outside. And really the question that um, I, I transformed this one into is when, when will I be enough? And I think the answer was I was enough when I was born. That's what I want the answer to be. And now 48 years later, here I am still trying to convince myself that that's the truth. It's like, when will I be enough? Because there's never going to be enough out here. As soon as I think there is, it's going, to, it's going to evaporate. But inside, what if I could know that I'm already enough? And how might that change my outsides? Number six, what do you seek to control? What do you seek to control? Now, by nature, the way I ask the question, that means there's something that's not in control and I'm seeking to control it. What do you seek to control? This one came up 22 times in my six months of Vipassana. What do you seek to control? You know, and I know, I know that we'll all answer that question differently. I know I seek to control what people think of me. And that causes a lot of pain. Uh, I know I seek to control uh, my uh, energy. I know I seek to control my energy. I, I do things uh, out of intellect rather than trusting my heart. Um, and so I'm uh, always, I'm like, you know, I'll eat at the right times each day because I think it brings my body fuel even if I'm not hungry. So I'm learning to like, okay, is that my intellect talking or my heart talking? Is that my instinct? Or is that just what I know or what I've been told to know? So what do you seek to control? Number seven, this one came up a lot for me, uh, 17 times again. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of not being the son my parents need me to be. Definitely afraid of that, especially as their needs are quadrupling by the minute. I'm afraid of uh, coming here and, and meditating with all of you and thinking that you all do it better than me and comparing myself to you. I do that sometimes. I'm afraid of not winning. 
I really love to win. I think I've wanted to win since I was two at almost anything. Uh, I lived in Chicago for a couple of years, and I think I got kicked out of every yoga class in Lakeview because <laughs> you're supposed to do your own practice, but I just made sure I did it better than anybody else in the room. <laughs> Number eight, what regrets are you trying to avoid? What regrets are you trying to avoid? And so that let's look at the nature of that question. What regrets are you trying to avoid? That means you don't have the regret yet because you're trying to avoid it, which means it's out of the present moment and somehow in the future, right? What regrets are you trying to avoid? I know one for me is um, I'm trying really hard to live today the way I fantasize about living when I retire. I'm trying not to wait. COVID college certainly taught us all that, right? That there's, there may not be anything to wait for, so what are we waiting for? Um, what regrets are you trying to avoid? I'm trying to uh, avoid working too much. That is a regret I don't want to have, is that I worked too much. Uh, I think sometimes I come here out of, uh, out of avoidance of the regret that I didn't come enough, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. Uh, in the 12 steps, we might call that fake it till you make it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been here uh, maybe a thousand times when I didn't want to, but thought I should be. And what I've learned in those thousand times is it don't matter. The benefits are the same whether I wanted to be here or whether I just showed up here out of some internal obligation. I then turned that question around. This one I probably have asked more than anything, which is, "What am I avoiding?" That takes me a lot. It takes me away from meditation a lot. What am I avoiding? So avoiding, uh, you know, actually doing the work. Um, you know, sometimes I come here and consider myself this great meditator and this peaceful, kind, loving guy, but then my behaviors don't represent that on Tuesday afternoon in the middle of the stressful real world. And so, uh, you know, what am I avoiding um, by not being congruent all the time? And, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, I don't know the answer to that always, but I think it's really important to ask ourselves, what are we avoiding? What are we resisting? The ninth question, how are you seeking to bring meaning to your life? How are you seeking to bring meaning to your life? Uh, standing here is one way I'm seeking to bring meaning to my life, I think, uh, is I'm trying really, really hard to say yes until I have to say no these days. And the meaning I want in my life is I really do want to um, to live the the Course of Miracles has a has a teaching uh, a single sentence that says to have give all to all, and uh, I really want to make sure that I've been grateful enough for the blessings of my life. It feels imperative to me that I keep giving and giving and giving and serving and serving and serving because I want to make sure I've been grateful enough because my life has just been so blessed. And so um, the way I'm seeking to bring that meaning to my life is to show up here, to offer what I can to you, to hope I don't hurt, hurt anybody too much by dumb things I can't help but say. Um, I, think I, I, I think I seek to bring meaning to my life uh, through noble friendships, um, through ethical work practices, uh, from doing what I say uh, more often than not. 
Number 10, who are you at the end of all this? Who are you at the end of all this? This question comes up a lot for me. Who are you at the end of all this? And um, I think imperative in that question for me is, well, what's all this? So is all this these 10 questions? Yes. Uh, who am I at the end of all this? Is all this the end of this Dharma talk? Yes. That'd be an end, right? So who am I now? Um, but who am I at the end of all this? Uh, I think a lot of us might think about our death. <laughs> and... Uh, Rebecca, are you in here somewhere? Where'd you go? There she is. Okay. So who are you at the end of all this? This question for me, I was asking myself this in meditation about a week and a half ago. Um, and I've been, I've been uh, just thinking about it a lot. And so um, Mark Jesso died last September. Right, Rebecca? September? Yeah, your beloved husband, our beloved Sangha member. And uh, I took a, a bag of ashes of Mark's to Sri Lanka when we got married, and uh, we spread them kind of everywhere we went. And then I, I ended up doing something that I was just mortified to tell Rebecca about because I'd gotten like super shamed for it, but I just knew in my heart I had to do it. Um, so in Sri Lanka, there are streets everywhere, everywhere. And Mark loved dogs. Like, he loved them. Maybe second to... Uh, Arwen and Rebecca were his dogs. And so I decided to feed some of Mark's ashes to the dogs. And I was so afraid to tell Rebecca, but I, she high-fived me. She was so happy afterwards, but I was like so nervous. But I just had this compulsion to have him live on inside of the beings that he so beloved, right? Um, and so I bring up Mark in the question of who are you at the end of all this, because uh, Rebecca and I had breakfast last week, and all of a sudden, in the middle of like some random conversation, she like jumps up and goes, "Wait, Mark's with us!" I'm like, "What?" And she pulls out a river rock. Do you have it? You you, you have that river rock? If anybody wants to see it, it's just amazing. So Rebecca had Mark's ashes turned into river rocks, and so she handed it to me, and it's like the, one of those like almost like a worry stone, you know, those really soft rocks. And so Mark was this magnificent, right, human being. He was this amazing husband and father, this incredible Sangha member, this incredible uh, dog steward. He was all so many, so many things. And now he's a river rock. I think it's just so incredibly powerful to remember that at the end of all this, we might just all be some river rocks. How many? 57 River Rocks, that's amazing. All right. Well, now I feel like I can ask if I could have one, but anyway. <laughs> um, so who are you at the end of all this? You know, I, I personally, I have an app on my phone. I would love everyone in the world to download it. It's called We Croak. Um, <laughs> and the We Croak app, five times a day, asks you to contemplate your death. And then it, and then it reminds you how spectacular the present moment is. And how living in, in your fullness is so powerful and so beneficial. And so when, when my meditation practice gets interrupted by the question, who are you at the end of all this? I really want to remember that I'm just that river rock, which means I just better live more boldly today. If there's somebody I can help today, I've got to do it. What is that money doing sitting in my savings account when my neighbor cannot eat? 
right? What am I doing running to the meditation practice and jumping over the guy who fell down in the, in the parking lot? What am I doing? This is all we've got, right? We're going to be Mark. We're going to be that river rock. And so I think it's an invitation when my mind jumps to, uh, leaves meditation and says, who are you at the end of all this? I really want to remember that I'm a river rock, which means I have to live so big today. I have to live so lovingly today. I have to push even harder and, and, and rip open any barriers to, to my fullness, to my authenticness, because at the end, I'm a rock, you know? So these are the 10 things that keep, uh, keep coming for me, uh, in meditation. And, um, I'm going to finish by telling you what I think I've learned by contemplating these 10 things. Number one, fix yourself first. Uh, until you love and know yourself, literally nobody else can. And, you know, we all come to the monks for advice. We all come to each other for advice. We go to wisdom teachers for advice. But the truth is it's an inside job. Uh, that, you know, you have to, you have to love yourself first and fix yourself first and nobody else can do it. They can guide the way. They can open you to the page number 94. They can maybe say the right thing at the right moment, embrace you in a certain way. But at the end of the day, it's your job. It's an inside job. Number two, family is not defined by blood or DNA alone. Don't hang out with people you don't love. <laughs> you may not like them all the time, but love really is essential. Asking those 10 questions and then for me answering them in so many different ways over and over and over again taught me that, man, my family is you all. My family is in my deep, noble friendships. Uh, my family is also in biology, right? And in, 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 in those, those kinds of connections. But man, I, I just want to be with the people I love. And, it, and if I continue to force myself to fit into a box that does not serve me and does not seem to serve them, just because it's labeled with the word family on it, what am I doing that for? Right? When I have all these other people here who I so dearly love and would do anything for, I just think family is not defined by blood or DNA alone. Number three, love is a verb. Love is a verb. Number four, diversity is essential to humanity. Diversity is essential to humanity. Um, actually, part of the way I recognized the need for diversity was going to places like Sri Lanka where there's actually not that much diversity. You know, we talk all about diversity here in the United States um, as something we need to embrace and need to execute and need to implement. But the truth is we're actually a really diverse nation. Walk through any big city and tell me how many languages you hear or how many colors you see or how many um, approaches to expression you see. Uh, we, we actually have a lot of it. We may not embrace it. We may not exalt it and hold it in high reverence enough, uh, but we certainly have it. And I think it's essential to humanity. Number five, money is really good for the good it can do. When you give, it comes back tenfold. Um, I've learned to trust this like I trust my next breath. If I notice myself clinging to money out of scarcity, uh, I, I try to give it away even faster now because I know that, that law of reciprocity and to have, give all to all. Number six, in business and relationships and finance and in life, you're always one hello from your entire life changing. You're one hello from your entire life changing. Uh, number seven, always be reading a book you can't put down. And then I, I could jokingly say, preferably written by me that you paid full price for. But, <laughs> but, but uh, always be reading a book you can't put down. Um, I, I just notice how often 
my life has gotten better because of the wisdom teachings that other people shared, either through the written form of a book or through Dharma talks or a podcast or one-on-one -on -one exchanges or lectures. Always reading a book you can't put down. Number eight, live with the awareness that a single decision can change everything. Live with the awareness that a single decision can change everything. Number nine, living with gratitude is the pathway to joy. I just, I, man, I've been through a lot. And being through a lot, my, the, my joy, my joyful nature has not been altered. And I think it's because I've really also lived with so much gratitude. Uh, number 10, face the darkness, stare it down and own it. Um, I spent a lot of time out west these last few months and uh, found myself around a lot of buffalo. And I learned something about buffalo. Buffalo, when there's a huge storm, buffalo charge the storm. They charge right into it as a way to stay safe rather than waiting for the storm to come to them where they're standing still. Number 11, live in your truth. I think living in your truth is so critical because it means you have to figure out what truth is for you. And number 12, this one I stole from Anne Lamont and I just it's just like my absolute favorite thing. Grace is spiritual WD-40. <laughs> There's almost nothing outside of you that will last in any sustainable way. You can't buy serenity or peace of mind. It's an inside job uh, in, in uh, some situations that happened. And I discovered that I had been so kind and so loving and so long. And last year was the first time where I desperately needed that grace extended back to me. And it was. So it's the first time I got to have all the good I had done and the relationships I had cultivated. It was the first time they actually got to rescue me. And I got to lay inside of that love and embrace and support. Um, and man, did it just really rescue me. So grace, I really do think, is spiritual WD-40. Uh, and then the last thing uh, is that every deed we do, every heart we lift up, everything we do in integrity, the power of it just lasts for generations. And so I just, I don't think we can underestimate what we're all doing here. You know, when you walk out of here today, and, you know, even at the very first traffic light that you hit, it's possible that your reaction will be different than if you had not sat here in the practice of meditation and in the sangha together. Uh, and that's really, I think, our responsibility is that this place is worthless and we should tear it down unless we take what we gain from here and go implement it in our daily lives and in every step we take and in every action we have and in every word we use.